Beautiful, beautiful. Here we go. We are now recording. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rock Metal Podcast. I am your host, John Harris. Today on the Rock Metal Podcast, we have Dry Kill Logic, who just released a couple of new singles. Right now, I'm being joined by Jason, who's going to share some more information about what this band has been up to for the last little bit, how this year has gone for them, and what they've got coming up. So, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely great to have you on, especially great to have you on. As we were just chatting, I was like, Dry Kill Logic, F yeah, I'm going to have you on the show. So... <laughs> Beautiful. Now, I guess my first question is, you weren't for 13 years. Take us through that. Now, you said the spoiler alert is it's really not that interesting. Uh, and I know compressing 13 years into a soundbite is probably even more interesting or less interesting. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. So I'll just I'll dive right in. So basically, the last time people saw us as, a, as an active band was up until the end of 2006. And even for that whole uh entire year we did put out we put out our last full length that year of vengeance and violence um and all the touring we did was just in europe and australia uh, we did a couple of european t uh runs uh beginning and then end of the year with an australia run in the middle with fair factory and devil driver um after that the band basically dealt with uh the label we were on at the time dissolved um went bankrupt we got left without getting a bunch of money we were owed kind of very typical story of what happens to a lot of bands on smaller labels sometimes um and essentially just where we were we we needed a break we were kind of burned out on just the way everything the business was being handled with the label and just with all the touring and everything we just kind of needed to step back and work on our personal lives a little bit and just kind of get that going uh, that being said, everybody went in different directions, but remained really good friends over the years. I mean, we're still Brendan, somebody, uh, the bass player, Brendan Kane, somebody I've been playing in bands with since 99, my best friend, but even Cliff and at the time the drummer Phil still, we were just all very, very close. Um, everybody went on, whether we did different bands, worked on our careers, took career changes. Uh, Brendan formed the band Pristina, put out a few albums, which was more like a sludgecore band. Um, I jumped into Broadway musicals, did tours, worked on and off Broadway and on Broadway and off Broadway in New York City. Um, and everybody just did their thing. Uh, but that being said, we kept getting in touch. We, we always stayed in touch with each other. We kept getting together, actually jamming, occasionally writing, but it was always just for fun. Um, we kept doing that over the years, getting together, have drinks, have dinner, rent a rehearsal room, break out some gear, you know, show each other what we were working on. We were also always recording riffs at home and trading them with each other. And then at some point, probably around 2016, two, end of 2016, going into 2017, we said, you know, some of this, some of the stuff that we've been messing around with, it sounds pretty good. You know, wouldn't it be nice if we kind of started figuring out you know, how to how to track it, get it together and get it out there to people. Just, you know, we thought some people might want to hear it. And that's what kind of led us to putting out that first song last year. OK, very cool, which obviously was incredibly exciting. And then this year happened. So did that give you guys more time? Was it a blessing that coronavirus happened or did that kind of foil some some newly uh, founded plans? Well, I, I would say it basically it foiled life, and by extension, the band plans got pushed further back only because everything else in our life started slowing down and getting pushed further back. 
Um, when we decided to release music and started actually working out these songs in earnest and getting ready to track them and everything, that's when the writing on the wall became apparent for our drummer, uh, Phil, who his family obligations were just starting to become much more and he couldn't do it. So he stepped back. Uh, we're still friends with him and everything was very amicable, but just what we needed from him, just, you know, he wasn't available for it anymore. So he stepped back and we kept working. We were able to first track vices. Uh, we hooked up with a guy, a really great uh, producer and mixer by the name of Greg Thomas um, out of Silver Bullet Studios in Burlington, Connecticut. Uh, he said he'd come on board and mix the stuff for us if we wanted to track it ourselves. I started figuring out some stuff to track, uh, like how to do it myself, uh, you know, with, you know, computer and just got a, got a recording, so got some recording software, got some mics, just started figuring out how that works a little bit. And it's just something we started doing on our own. Um, fast forward to the coronavirus. Well, all of a sudden, you know, we got to figure out how to get through the day to day. Some of us have family obligations. Some of us still have work obligations. So the idea of, you know, for a lot of people, it's like time to kind of just burrow in and learn all these arts and crafts and hobbies they wanted to do all their lives. For us, it wasn't, for none of us, it's been like that. We, we still have work. We still have family obligations. So a lot of the time that we had put aside for music and working on the band kind of got pushed to the side. Uh, so it, it took a little longer to get the second song out than we intended, but it did come out exactly the way we wanted it, so we're not really complaining about it. Yeah. Now, something that I'm hearing a bit is is essentially you know figuring things out how to how to get things together, uh, track and and do all these sorts of things. So I guess my my broad stroke question is: Has much changed in 13 years? Like, was it like just getting back on the bike, or has enough in the industry changed over the last 13 years that it seemed a little confusing? Um, well, look, as far as, as far as the business end went, um, as you can see, you know, we're, we're doing this all ourselves, although we have, we have distribution from E1 and in, and that relationship with them, just as distribution, they've been incredible. But as far as being signed proper to a label and dealing with the ins and outs, um, we weren't looking to do that. We just kind of wanted to do it ourselves and have control over every element of it. Um, but even working with E1 and all the tangential stuff that comes with you know, business dealings and everything that, that was kind of like, you know, like you said, getting on a bike or, you know, slipping on an old shoe that, that was comfortable and easy to do. Same thing with writing. Since we never stopped, that was easy. When we get together, like I said, I've been playing with Brendan for over 20 years. I've been playing with Cliff since 2002. Like that, that's very comfortable. And that's, you know, the main reason why we still do it. We enjoy each other. We enjoy the music that we write together and we enjoy the process of writing with each other. So that was very comfortable too. Uh, the technology has changed considerably over the years, um, and even if it didn't, it didn't matter. We weren't what you would call, you know, technologically savvy in the first place. We never. I would always demo our stuff back in the day, but my knowledge didn't really expand past GarageBand back in two thousand two, two thousand four, two thousand six. Recording and engineering things of that nature were were never really my my thing, um, nor anybody's in the band at that time. So that that was where the learning curve happened for us at this point. It was just something that we had to get used to. I mean, gear has changed tremendously. Technology in general has changed tremendously since 2006. You know, everybody has dope in-airs now, you know, ever-tuned bridges on guitars that don't go out of tune anymore. Uh, 
you know, the, the rigs, the fractal rigs and, and the Kempers and all the profiling rigs, you know, er, all that stuff has advanced so much since we were a, a fully active band. So learning that stuff just took a little while to, to get used to and to learn in the first place. Yeah. And I guess my question that is, as a guitar player, uh, do you find that it's better for you to be using, like, I don't know, say like, like the fractal rig than what you had previously used? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, if, if we were going out and playing shows, I might have a different opinion of it, but I love the the profilers and the amp sims uh, for working at home, especially, like I live in New York City, I'm in a, not small, but a small-ish apartment with my family. It's not like I could far, fire up my, my Marshall, you know, two o'clock in the morning when I want to work on some riffs. So having a little, yeah. <laughs> Why so not, Jason? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't mind, but I'm sure my two-year-old, my two-year-old would not appreciate it. Nor would yeah. my neighbors. Um, but yeah, so I think it's it's great that I get to have like this little closet office, uh, you know, inside my house where I could just throw in some cans and, and do what I need to do at any hour and nobody around me can hear it. But it still sounds and kind of gives me the energy and the feeling of, you know, what having like an actual rig would sound like. Um, I think that's pretty amazing. And the ability to track so easily nowadays, uh, you know, all those, and just, you know, email stuff to somebody else. I mean, that's how we've been doing these songs. Like I'll track, like for Don't See Ghosts, I actually, because there's some electrical, like RF frequency issues in my place, I haven't been able to track uh, in a while, but I have a friend who lives 10 minutes away who has a home studio. I ran over to his house, spent the afternoon hanging out with him, tracking, tracking my guitars, ran back home, dumped all the tracks off a jump drive into my computer, edited them, and then emailed them to Greg Thomas, who's going to reamp them and mix the rest of the song that we already worked on. Like, I think that's amazing that that we can do it like that nowadays. Like, we can put together a whole song. I mean, and plenty of super groups and other bands do this, where it's like people from all over the globe just kind of email the tracks to each other. And I know that's been going on for a long time, but it's just so easy and so accessible now. I think it's amazing. Yeah, that's going to be one of the next questions is, you know, is that, well, uh, I don't know if you want to call it like an artificial rig, but like, is the fractal rig something that we're hearing on the record or did Greg reamp it? No, well, I'm not even using the fractal currently. I'm just using, um, I'm just using some amp sims on the guitar. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm using some amp sims for my guitar on my computer and then just sending the raw tracks to Greg and he's reamping, he's tweaking it, but it's slightly based on my live rig, which is um, a Marshall JCM 2000. Uh, just going through a Mesa, uh, Mesa Boogie standard slant 4x12 cab. Um, he's sticking to the core of like my Marshall tone and then doing some some tweaks you know, in the studio to have it be a bit of his sound mixed with a bit of my sound, make it a little more modern. And we go back and forth with, you know, do you like this? Do you like this? But I've been really happy with everything he's done. But yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm just, using, the, I'm just using the amp sims in my house. Um, I don't even remember the name of the one I'm using off the top of my head, but, uh, yeah. 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 They mentioned oh, amp- production. Uh, sorry. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say Amplitube. That's what I'm using at home. Amplitube. All right. little piece of industry standard, uh, software there. Yeah. Now, uh, something you mentioned is, you know, the production is exactly where you guys wanted it to be. And so it's kind of a, a big question. It's like a massive burrito. I think I'm about to throw at you. Hopefully you like burritos. Um, <laughs> I'm a taco guy, but go ahead. Okay. Let's serve up the tacos then. There'll be four tacos instead of three tacos. And um, my question is, you mentioned that, you know, the production is exactly where you guys wanted it to be and that you guys have kind of been writing off and on for quite some time. So 
I guess my question is, with these two tracks that were released recently, Vices and Don't See Ghosts, what was it about these tracks that said, these are the ones that need to go out uh, first? And what was it that you were looking for where you got to that point and said, this is the production level that we want on, say, Vices or on Don't See Ghosts? Uh, okay, well, to address the first part of the question, um, I think it came down, when we finally started really honing in on completing Vices, we felt it was it was two things. One, it kind of felt like the perfect amalgamation of all the like the kind of you know styles or, or genres of what we were putting out like we always had like a kind of different thing going on in each album the darker side of nonsense which was before my tenure with the band um very much gets lumped in with the new metal scene and and rightfully so i mean there's a lot of what would be considered and classified as new metal riffs on that album um but it has that vibe and it very much is of a certain era and time uh dead and dreaming is the first time when i joined the band and started writing with them and I brought a little more of, I guess you just call it traditional metal. I was very influenced by thrash metal and stuff like that. Um, and also hardcore. Uh, and a lot of postcore bands, Orange 9mm, Quicksand, Into Another, bands like that were really a big deal to me. So I brought some of that to it. And then Brendan joined. We did A Vengeance and Violence. Um, I would say if, if you had to put a label on it, we started falling more into what would be your prototypical kind of metalcore sound. Um, but we were also learning how to write with Brendan in the band and just kind of be this new unit. When Vices came together, we really felt that it was a perfect blending of all three of those albums in one song. And that's that was kind of the impetus to, to make us say, you know, we should really put this out. We think people might dig it. Um, the second part of that is that we also felt that it was really something that exemplified each of us individually as writers. Um, when I was writing is funny, you know, when I was, I wrote the first for vices, but I really wrote it feeling like, what can I write that I would think Brendan would really enjoy? And Brendan is, is really into bands like today's the day and ISIS and Rosis. And I was like, let me kind of write something that would really be up his alley. And he had like inspired the chorus of that song going, I know Jay likes big melodic stuff. You know, here's a couple ideas, and I took one of those and ran with it. And it, even, you know, when Cliff came in, he was like, I was thinking of doing something like this here. And it was just something that we really felt didn't sound like any one individual in the band. It really felt like all of our influences coming together in a really cohesive, nice way for, for the first time in a long time. So, so that is what really gave us the kick to say, you know, we should really put this out there because we think this is really, uh, really specific to what we would sound like now it just made sense it kind of just seemed like everything aligned like wow this is really what we would sound like if we never stopped writing and where we are as people right now we should really put this out there and share it yeah you know and I'm funny you mentioned you know i hope people like this track and so i'm looking at the youtube comments on the official visualizer video for vices and it, it's incredible the the comments that are here because obviously on youtube you could get all kinds of comments uh yeah. <laughs> but uh, what are some things that people are saying? You know, like uh, this is an incredible finding out this song existed just elevated my spirits. That is a, <laughs> right that, is a, that is a comment on YouTube. Um, how many badass bands are going to make a comeback this year? And the funny thing is, it's kind of like they're talking about the band, but also as well, it's attributed to the fact that you guys released this song and they're like, hell yeah. Right on. Yeah, I'm, we've been really, really, I feel lucky. Um whether or not that's the right word, I just 
feel like since we've we've been releasing music since I mean the two songs, but since we've released them, f- finding that we're kind of getting one of two things said about it. Either it's oh my god, I've been waiting something for you guys for from you guys for a long time. So glad you finally did it. Or hey, I totally forgot about this band. And for the hey, I totally forgot about this band kind of listener, it falls into one of two camps. Either like I really really like these guys, or I don't think I used to like them, but after hearing this, let me go back and listen to what they did. Oh my God, this, this was much better than I thought it was. Or, oh my God, I didn't even know they had more albums out. Like you'd be surprised how many people are like, oh, that's the band that put out a darker side of nonsense. And whether you loved it or or didn't, you know, they're like, oh, I never heard the dead and dreaming or I mean, so many people don't even know we have a vengeance and violence out because the label went bankrupt while right after it was released and it kind of got shelved in a way in a lot of areas. So it didn't really get the push that we were hoping for. So there's a lot of people who are going back and going, Oh, I didn't even listen to a lot of this stuff or at least listen to it in earnest. Wow. There's, there's something going on here. I think I kind of dig it. So that's been really, really great. It actually has give our back catalog a bit of a boost. Yeah. That's going to be my, my questions after 13 years, I guess there could have been a decision to create a new brand other than dry kill logic. So I guess what went into the decision to bring dry kill logic back, if that's the correct way to phrase that question. Yeah. Um, I, I think essentially it just came to the, down to the fact that it's still us. Um, we could have named it something else, but it's still, I, I'm writing the guitars, Cliff singing over them, Brennan's playing, although Phil's not with us now. Um, after me playing all these years with him, I'm still heavily influenced by the way he played and the way he wrote, because he was a huge contributor to writing music as well all these years. Um, although he didn't write, you know, a part of these two songs, I- I'm still influenced by him as a result. Um, so it's us. It sounds like us. We didn't, it- it's not like we're really catching in on the name because the name didn't have that much cachet to start with, but at, le- at least, you know, to us, it's hard, you know, from the inside looking out, but it just felt like it's still us doing what we do. And when we play it for friends in the beginning, They'd be like, oh, yeah, there's that dry kill sound. Like, oh, okay, well, this is dry kill. We we really can't get away from it. Even if we try to write something that we're like, oh, this is going to be completely different. <laughs> Me playing, Cliff singing, Brendan doing his thing behind, like, still going to sound like what people associate with dry kill logic. So why why confuse and muddy the waters by changing the name to something else? Very true, very true. And then something else, uh, you know, something that's come up a couple of times is, you know, new metal riffs. And as I'm scrolling through the comments, a lot of people are saying, man, you know, uh, the new metal is back. And this is kind of an interesting question, but the basis of the question is what what defines a new metal riff? Despite the fact that I lived through all of this in the 2000s, and I can probably kind of come to that conclusion myself uh, growing up, you know, you guys are part of my childhood. Uh, but but what is it about dry kill logic that says we're almost like a stamp? This is the definition of new metal. I, I, I couldn't answer that truthfully. I, I try not to get too bogged down into the whole genres and micro genre and, and all that stuff. But I, I think ultimately it comes down to when, you know, when the albums came out, what was happening around it, what the fan, you know, the fans or the listeners associate with that time of their lives, that era, you know, dry kill came out, their first album came out, I want to say 2001. Yeah, 2001 was the darker side of nonsense. Touring with Kitty, Nonpoint, uh, I mean, Fair Factory, which would never get labeled as a new metal band necessarily, but, you know, they're a part of that type. Slipknot, I mean, it, it was, like anything else, the genre of the label is something that the marketing departments put on top of it, and some people, 
you know, use it for verbal shorthand. Some people can care less. They either like the band or they don't. I mean, you could take so many of those riffs of that era and say they're new metal, but then a band like Amur is out there, which is not considered a new metal band, but there's definitely influenced by bands of that era. There's obviously Korn, Limpet. I mean, all the bands that come from the new metal scene, you could tell there's influence on a band like Amur. There's influence on a band, at least at some point, at some point in their career on a suicide silence. I mean, all these bands owe a nod to bands of that era, but they would never be labeled as new metal. So what is it that makes a difference? I couldn't really tell you. Yeah. And the funny thing is, actually, speaking of Kitty, I just chatted with Mercedes because she's got a new thing going on. Um, oh, right on. Right on. Yeah. 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 We, we played played a lot of shows with them. The band toured with them a lot before I was in it. Um, but I was in a, a band previous to Dry Kill that had played some shows with them. And yeah, we saw each other a couple of times over the years. Kitty kind of had a comeback. I want to say maybe it was 2010. And I actually worked as a video editor on a few of their music videos and stuff like that. So yeah, cool. really, really cool people. Yeah, awesome stuff. Now, speaking of cool people, uh, I believe that that is all the questions that I have for you. We chatted about the new tracks, the production, the writing, uh, the dormancy that is no longer dormancy, uh, the reaction that people seem to be having, uh, which is that you guys are back. This is great. Uh, so I guess really my only real last question for you, Jason, is what is coming down next on the pipeline? Should we expect just more singles? Should we expect an EP, an album? What should we be looking forward to? Yeah, well, right now, it's it's just going to be singles. Um, we just, like I said, for us, it just seems like the right way to go right now. You drop an album, people have a favorite, somebody decides this is the single, everything else kind of just gets pushed to the side. Um, doesn't really make sense for us. Plus, we don't really have the time to go into the studio right now for like three weeks and just track 12 songs or something like that. So singles is the way to go. Um, that being said, we have talked about, you know, when we get to five, six songs, let's, yeah, let's do really dope artwork. Let's package it up, maybe put it out as an EP for people who want it all together. I mean, I'm one of those people. I it's I like a tangible item in my hand. It's, it's a tactile experience listening to music. I like holding the artwork, whether it's vinyl with a big cover or even just a CD. Um, so I'm a I'm a big fan of of putting it together, packaging and putting it out. Not not from a sales perspective, but it's just to me that's part of the experience. But I think EPs is probably the way we're going to go moving forward. Um, past that, we're not we've not talked about like jumping on the road or anything like that. Again, it doesn't really make sense for where we are. But the idea after the apocalypse ends, you know, <laughs> what happens in the aftermath? Yeah, it would be great to do some live shows down the road, but we're not even having that conversation until it makes sense for everybody, especially the fans and everything to be safe. All right. Well, that sounds logical. I was going to say there's a lot of dry <laughs> logic to that. It didn't, really, didn't really work out. <laughs> ah, pow. Uh, be beautiful. All right. Well, Jason, listeners, uh, anything else that you wanted to bring up that I did not ask about? I just wanted to thank you for coming on to the rock metal podcast. Right on. No, no, that, that, covered everything. John, I really appreciate you having me, man. Thank you. You're welcome.